to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goal. Welcome to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today, our guest is Kate Stevens. And she is a mom with a full-time W-2 job at a medical device startup and also passively invests in real estate syndications. She's been in a total of 27 deals, eight of which have gone full cycle. She was a single-family home investor, later moved to small multifamily properties, and now predominantly invests passively in syndication. And so, Kate, I'm super excited to have you on the show today. Welcome to the show, and how are you doing? Thank you so much. It's so great to be here. I'm really well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Kate, can you share a little bit more about your background and how you got started in real estate? Yeah, absolutely. So as you can tell, I have a funny accent. So I'm from the UK originally. I'm a Welsh girl. Um, I've lived in California now for 14 years, but I'm still working on my accent. It's still um, a work in progress. And um, I started investing in real estate probably about 20 years ago. So I'm 47. And the very first house I bought, I did everything that you shouldn't do. Um, So I recognized that buying some real estate was a good way just to sort of build wealth long term and really to create financial security. But I didn't put a terrible amount of thought into it beyond that. It just seemed like a good thing to do. And I lived in the southeast of England at the time. I couldn't afford to buy anything where I lived. It was a pretty expensive area, sort of a bit like living in San Francisco or New York or something as the kind of U.S. equivalent. And so I bought a house that was about four hours away at an auction through a company and I'd never seen the house and I didn't know the area and it was very, very cheap. And it should have been a total disaster. Quite frankly, that is absolutely not what you should do. It worked out really through default because the company ended up going bankrupt that I had bought it through. The house was sort of okay, but there was this wonderful tenant there and she and I really connected and ended up working out. I sold it a couple of years later for twice what I had paid for it. And that enabled me to put a down payment on two houses in the area that I lived in. They were just sort of starter homes, but I still have them today. And they were much, you know, on paper, not so great from a cash flow perspective, but great from kind of an asset building perspective. And so I had three of those now, which I still have today in the UK. And I have a great property management company. I went through some bad ones, um, but I don't have to sort of think about those. And I've had those for 16, 17 years, and the mortgages paid off on two of them. And so they sort of take care of themselves. And then when I moved to the States 14 years ago, it was 2009. Um, when you transfer to a different country, you can't bring your credit with you. So I was basically had zero credit. I didn't exist in any kind of financial system. So it took a couple of years before I was able to even get a credit card or buy a house or to do anything here. But of course, the timing of the market was very good. So I bought my first house in the US in 2012. And then I just bought um, other houses in the neighborhood that I lived in. So I ended up with five single family houses close to kind of where I lived. So I had a W-2 job. Um, I didn't have children or anything at the time. So I lived fairly frugally. And every time I had enough money for a deposit, I, you know, bought a house near where I lived. 
they didn't cash flow particularly after all of the costs. But my at that time, my theory was, you know, I just want to be able to build up, um, you know, equity and I'll sort of think more about it down the road and kind of later. And then I had a child when I was 38. And a couple of years later, I really started to think more about kind of becoming more of a cash flow investor. It, that I didn't even know what that term was, quite frankly, at that time when I was buying those houses. But I, I realized that when I went to the grocery store, having nice looking numbers on a spreadsheet does not pay for the groceries. It might make me feel good at night, but it, it doesn't actually help you at that, at that moment in time. So I wanted to really find transition from being an asset investor to a cash flow investor. So I began to sell those single family houses. I had a brief period where I invested in out of state. So I invested in, I chose Grand Rapids in Michigan, which was a market that I liked. And I bought some small multis, a couple of duplexes and a fourplex in order to get better cash flow. But they were, quite frankly, a pain in the ass to manage from California. You know, it was just challenging. And so I sold those a year later. And I'm like, this is not the model for me. As a mom with a really busy W-2 job, I was just like, this could easily turn into a nightmare quite quickly. So then I started to investigate different avenues, mobile home parks. And then I found syndication investing almost sort of by accident, really. And so I started investing through, I set up a self-directed IRA and started investing in syndications passively. Um, it felt less risky than using my kind of cash outside. It just, this whole world opened up to me of passively investing in syndications that I didn't even know existed before. And so the more I learned and the more I got to know different syndicators, I was like, oh my gosh, this is fantastic. So when you fast forward to now, I have sold all of my single family homes in the US, I transferred money into syndications. And I really feel really happy with that investment modality. It works for me. My kids now nine. And I really love being a mom. I work at a startup. It's it's a job that I like, but I'd like to not have to do it every every day. So I'm really working hard towards kind of financial independence and that really being funded by syndications. And I love, I love that it's sort of a team sport. Like you get to know different people, you get to know interesting people who invest from all walks of life and a number of different investment groups that you can join where you can learn. So it's been a really fun and interesting kind of journey and a modality that works for me and my lifestyle. So that was a very long answer to your question. <laughs> Sorry. It was a very nice <laughs> overview of how you've been able to get it to where you are today because a lot of times people see, wow, you've invested in so many syndications at this point. You know, is this something that happened overnight? But no, you've taken many, many steps along the way for 20 years to be able to get to where you are now, both in your investments and in your W-2 and with your family life? Yeah, I think it's, you know, life is a constant balance. I was a professional skydiver for a brief period of time. Really? And, yeah, I mean, I skydived for about 20 years, but I took a period of time off work just to skydive professionally. And we, I'm a very conservative investor, so it makes me sound like a risk taker, but I'm, I'm not a risk taker at all. But you have to continually work the problem failure is not really an option. And I take the same approach really with investing. I've taken a very wiggly route to get to, you know, where I feel really comfortable with my investment strategy today. And um, and I'm okay with that. You know, I the very first house I bought, 
was not the smartest thing. But if I hadn't done it, I wouldn't be where I am today. If I hadn't kind of navigated my way through multifamily, I wouldn't have discovered that that really wasn't kind of the right thing. So none of these have been a disaster. Like they've all worked out. I haven't lost my shirt in any of them. There are many people I read stories of who have got to financial independence a lot quicker than I have. I'm fairly conservative. So provided that I keep making progress and continue to learn, I think that that it's been an, a really interesting journey for me. I don't kind of question, oh gosh, should I buy 10 houses in Birmingham, Alabama or something? And there are investors who do very well with that. Like I've tried similar things and they have not worked for me. So the wiggly route here makes me sleep well at night and feel comfortable with where I am today and the strategy that I have today. And it's also interesting to note too, that at each point in where you are at with your personal life and with your situation, you had to pivot each time to kind of adjust and what made sense for you at that time. So what made sense to you back then doesn't really apply to how you want to approach investing today. Yes, absolutely. Like our lives change and we change and we continue, our perspective in life continues to sort of evolve and change. And everybody's motivation is a little different. You know, your children are younger than my daughter. You know, you're in the thick of that really heavy hands-on <laughs> parenting piece. You know, right now my daughter thinks I'm awesome, but I see like in a few years time, I'll be the most uncool person in the world and she won't want to hang with me. So I really cherishing these moments that I have. Time is so precious. And as much as I wish that I was financially independent and I didn't have to go to work every day, I'm lucky the job I have, I quite like. And the investments provide me with financial security so I sleep well at night and I have mental bandwidth to not be worrying about those things. So when I'm not working, I can be a very present mother and that I think those things matter. And I also reflect, you know, my own mother, she died when she was, she was a much younger mother than I was, but she died when she was 62 and, you know, was diagnosed with cancer at 54. And I think, gosh, I'm 47. If something like that happened to me, I'm the breadwinner in my home. I want to make sure that if I need to leave my work for whatever reason, either because of my health or because I need to care for someone else, or there's some crazy adventure I want to go on, or my daughter decides she wants to, I don't know, do something which requires, you know, some input and help. I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to say yes to things. And I want to be able to have that fallback. So that's really kind of my motivation is to have that freedom to, you know, either continue to work, but on, you know, projects that I'm truly passionate about rather than, you know, without just having to have a, an eye on the finances, um, but be able to say yes with whatever adventures life kind of presents. So that's what's exciting for me about this journey. And I, I love the fact that with syndication investing, you know, my family are in Europe, we go back every summer. I love, I'd love to spend a little more time traveling. I love that I can check in on my investments, um, you know, sitting on a beach in Wales, just, go, just going, okay, everything's fine. Or if somebody needs something and I don't have a tenant emergency or et cetera to deal with, like that really is wonderful for me. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us, because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level, and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. 
A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. You have experience with investing in several syndications across several different sponsors. So for you, what has been your positive experiences about each of the different sponsors you've worked with? And what are some of the not so good experiences with the different sponsors? Yes. So firstly, I spend quite a lot of time talking to other investors to find sponsors that people like, that people trust, that they feel good about. There's a number of things that are important to me that might not be important to every one of your listeners. You know, we're all different with what we look for. So for me, having reasonable cash flow is important. I'm conservative. So I want to make sure that the investments that I make, there's little risk of me losing my money. There's a reasonable chance of me having cash flow every month and the investments turning out well. I don't need them to be amazing. If they are amazing, that's great. I've had eight that have gone full cycle and they generally have ended up at about a 20% IRR, which is, you know, fantastic. And we're going into kind of a tougher cycle. So I talk to other investors to find good sponsors. Um, my favorite sponsor that I have invested in, I think, five different deals with now, they're based out of Cincinnati. They're called SNS Capital. The thing that I like about them is they're very well integrated. So they have their own property management company, their own maintenance. I think that's increasingly important as we go into this cycle. Like I worry a little bit with, you know, of course, interest rates have gone up, but rents are now flattening and we've got away with it because rents have continued to increase. But I think rents are flattening and then costs, of course, are increasing, labor costs have increased, material costs have increased. And so there's tremendous pressure on NOI. And I think that that is something that I have a very close eye on. And so I think that sponsors that are very well integrated so they can control their labor and their maintenance costs, I think that's really important. And I see more and more sponsors starting to do that, which I think is a positive thing. But I think for those who already do it, there's definitely a learning curve to managing all of those pieces. And so for those who already do it, I think they have an advantage kind of going into this cycle. So those are things that are important to me. And then the thing that I like about them the most is they care for their tenants. Their philosophy is delivering the feeling of home to their tenants and they care about their tenants. And I think that if we put tenants first and our customers first, the money takes care of itself. I think when we, our primary goal is on the money, I think that we lose sight of what's truly important. And I think they're ultimately less profitable. So that's something that's important to me and that I really look for and that I like. So for you, how do you stay on top of all of your investments and keep a pulse on the market? So um, I I use uh, Google Sheets. So I have them all in a Google Sheet and I just sort of track them. And I read the quarterly reports. I, I, I don't read every line of them, but I, you know, when they come in, I'm like, okay, that's doing great. That's fine. So it doesn't take a lot of time, quite frankly, just to sort of know what's going on with them. And most of them, it's 
a monthly update or a quarterly update. If it's a quarterly update, it might take 10 minutes for me to read. If it's a monthly update, it might be a couple of minutes. It's like everything's going fine. Great. So I don't kind of look into too much more detail. I think ultimately, once you've made your decision to invest with a sponsor, you have to trust the sponsor. There are some that have had issues. Like I've had two syndications where they've had some challenges. Um, one did close and it ended up with a 6% kind of return, which, you know, sucked. And, and they, they made that sponsor made some errors, but it's a big, very well-known sponsor. And all of their other investments have done incredibly well. And if you just do enough of these, you're going to have some that just aren't so great. And I think you just have to accept that, you know, nobody's perfect. The thing that this sponsor did, and I would invest with them again, that they did a phenomenal job of, they put a lot of their own money in. So that's a question I ask them. I, I say, how much money do you have in reserves for this particular property? Not the portfolio overall, but within this LLC. So if people stop paying, if things are difficult, uh, you know, if you have a big storm that comes through, how are you going to float this property? And I think that's really, really important. And I think a lot of people have increased their reserves, you know, particularly kind of since COVID. So I think that uh, that's important. And that sponsor had enough experience to deal with some really difficult scenarios that they had to deal with. And they had deep enough pockets that they could do it. And that's really what matters is when things go wrong, um, do they have uh, the moral courage to, to, to be able to withstand difficulties? And do they have deep enough pockets and strong enough business eth ethics to weather those storms? And those are the things that I look for more than I look at specifically the finances. The financials need to work for me, but those other things are ultimately, I think, for me, the most important in any form of business. So you've also invested in a wide variety of different asset classes, such as multifamily, self-storage, ATM funds. What got you into each of those different asset classes? And do you have a particular favorite one? So I think it's like having children. You're not allowed to have favorites. You're supposed to like them all. But, you know, I started with multifamily and I understand it. Everybody needs somewhere to live, like logically makes sense to me. And so that felt the most comfortable. I did go on Frank Rolfe's mobile home park course because I thought at one point I'd quite like to buy mobile home parks. My paperwork ability lends itself much better to syndications than, uh, than me being an active investor. Um, but I understand how to do due diligence. I understand that asset class well. So that led me after I got really comfortable with syndications and multifamily. Um, and I did, made my first investment with Joe at Ashcroft Capital. And they've all done all of the investments I've done with them have gone really well. I then started investing in uh, got a couple of mobile home park investments. And those have been okay. And then I started looking at self-storage. That kind of made sense to me. So I've got a couple of sort of self-storage and then industrial, triple net leases. So I just kind of learned a little to understand those. And then ATM funds has been my more recent kind of investments. And they're in a way less satisfying. It's sort of, I like the multifamily, the self-storage, the industrial. I feel like you're contributing, you're building something, an ATM fund. It's great. Financially, it works out really well. They've gone, those assets have gone really, really well for me. So I've been happy with that diversification. And when I looked at really experienced investors, they were very diversified across a wide range of sponsors, a wide range of asset classes. And that's just one of the beauties of passively investing in syndications is you can invest across the country in a wide range of these different things. And that makes me sleep well at night and I can do it 
sitting in my armchair by the fire chatting to you. So (laughs) I think that was certainly something I learned from the people who are much smarter than me, who've been doing this for a lot longer, who have much, much bigger portfolios and money to invest. I want to be like them when I grow up. So I success leaves clues. So I looked at what they did and that certainly seemed to be a good pathway. For you as well, as you've been investing in all these different syndications, and there's a lot of talk about you know, the volatility of the market right now, there could be a potential recession coming up. As a limited partner and passive investor yourself, does that make you nervous about continuing to invest in real estate or has that changed your strategy at all? No, it's actually made me feel much more comfortable actually have a very small amount of money in the stock market. I mean, it's nothing to write home about, but I feel much more comfortable in real estate than I do, quite frankly, in my kind of stock portfolio and know almost nothing about stock investing. I think part of the reason why I feel more comfortable is I feel like I understand it better. And most of the investments that I have, you know, they're on long-term fixed rate debt, not all of them, but most of them. And I am cautious about what I invest in today. I think that experience matters. So I'm going back to some of the sponsors that I really trust, that I have really good success with, understanding that they, you know, one of them didn't buy anything through 2022. They sold quite a lot, but they didn't buy anything through 2022. But they're starting to look now. There's plenty of market data out there. So there's a PwC report that came out recently. It's like about 150 pages. It make, you know, it's pretty long. But it has some, you know, really fantastic information in there. And I think that, you know, from what I see in the market, and again, I am not an expert, but from what I see, I think if you have things on fixed, low interest rate debt, I think you're going to be in good shape. I don't think that we can count on these very large rent increases continuing. I think affordability really matters. Um, and I think it matters to the population and to the tenants in, in, in these homes. I think cost control really matters. I think that wages, there will continue to be pressure on wages. Unemployment is low. And there's not much sign of that easing up at this point in time. And I think some of the building costs have come down from the crazy lumber prices that were, you know, during COVID due to supply chain, some of that sort of resolving, but they're certainly not where they were. So I think Anybody who's able to really control their costs and already has fixed interest rate debt, I personally don't worry about those. I think there's going to be some issues in office. I think certainly from what I see and just in my the people that I know from a working perspective, I think many companies have settled down on what they think their working practice is going to be. So the people who are working from home or working from home two days a week or being 100% remote. I don't believe that everybody's going back to an office. And I think that there is a lot of office stock. And I think that when those leases come up and people don't renew them, I think there could be a bit of a bloodbath financially. And I think, again, I think there will be some opportunity that will be created potentially from that with, you know, there'll be some beautiful office buildings that don't function well as offices. And somebody who's really smart can basically gut the inside and create some beautiful multifamily structure. But I think it will... I don't think everybody will be able to do that. I think it takes people with strong construction kind of experience, knowing what to buy, you know, being able to do that. So I see that where I think that things could come a little unstuck because I think there's a lot of very big companies with a lot of debt in office. And I think that there'll be some defaults there. I do see in multifamily, I think that 
Some people, of course, will come unstuck with higher interest rates with if they don't have fixed interest rate debt, I think there'll be some potential opportunities. And I think that there'll be some sponsors will be able to pick that up. And I think there's a lot of people sitting on cash. So I think it will be interesting. But I think everything slowing down and being a little more conservative and people taking a little time, I think will be important. So I, for me, I'm going sort of back to the well, really, of the sponsors that I really trust that I think are are conservative, thoughtful, have a decent history of being able to execute and have very integrated businesses. And Kate, how has real estate investing impacted your life? It helps me to sleep well at night. It has allowed me to have a vision of being able to have financial freedom that I don't think I would have had without it. And what is the one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? I'm giving it some thought. Give me one second. My brain's kind of mulling over. (laughs) Um, The earlier you start, the better. And I think I knew that, but I think I didn't realize that quite so clearly. And I had some advice from, I remember a much older gentleman at a conference last year. He just said to me, why are you in such a rush? There's no rush. Take your time. I'm really taking that on at the moment as I look for investments that make sense in this market with these conditions. And so I'm like, take your time. So I'm taking on board his advice. And what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? I think the people who are cautious and take their time. I remember meeting a gentleman. I think he was probably about 90. I don't know. But he was certainly a much older gentleman and had a very large real estate portfolio. And I asked him, I said, what, and I was probably 30, what would you do? You know, what advice would you have? And he said, just buy things that make sense and never, ever sell them. <laughs> and and I think that's wise. And I think we often hear the stories of the people who have overnight success. But most people, their overnight success takes years and years to build. So I think that we, and some people who have overnight success also have overnight failure. So we're all different. But for me, for my kind of personality, I'm kind of an overnight success that's taking 20 years to build. (laughs) Kate, where can our listeners find out more about you and what you're doing? I'm pretty private. So I love chatting on podcasts. I love talking to people, but I don't have a blog or a website or anything, but people are welcome to reach out to me. If ever I've all had so much help from others, if I can ever be of service or help to anyone, um, you're welcome to reach out to me. My email is Kate Stevens, K-A-T-E-S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S 007 at gmail.com. And you're welcome to reach out and happy to chat and help just as others have helped me. Kate, thank you so much for all of your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you. I so enjoyed chatting with you. Thank you. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate. We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. 
Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonifacecapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.